Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gear Up Part 5. Come on, we've been in this Gear Up season, and uh, it's been an awesome series. And if it's blessed you, just give us a thumbs up in the chat right now. If you've received something over the last few weeks that we've been in this Armor of God series, let us know, because we really want it to be of value, and I feel like God is speaking to us. So if it's blessed you, give us a thumbs up in the comments. If it's your first time with us, then you're so welcome to our community today. And if we haven't met yet, my name is Jean-Michel, and I'm one of the pastors here at Victory. It's my honor to bring the word today, and I'm excited. You know, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about how the armor of God is not actually centered around us. Even though we put the armor on, although we wear the armor, the armor is actually centered around the person of Jesus Christ. It's centered around his sacrifice for us. It's centered around his grace towards us, his mercy towards us. And notice something, that whatever is in the world and of the world, Jesus brings something opposite to that. So, and you look at the belt of truth, where in the world there is dishonesty and lies and disintegrity. In Jesus, we find truth. And not just my truth or your truth, but the truth of your righteousness, your right standing with God, your favor and your blessing on your life because you are a child of God. That is the truth, never to be subverted by the world's truth. It's the same for righteousness, right? Breastplate of righteousness. The world is full of sin and unrighteousness, yet Jesus brings righteousness. We spoke two weeks ago about the shoes fitted with the gospel of peace, and when the world brings anxiety and fear and burnout and all kinds of brokenness, Jesus brings peace, a calm in the storm, a stability a balance. That's what Jesus brings. And last week we spoke about the shield of faith. In the world where there is division, Jesus brings unity through our faith, our collective faith as the church, in our marriages, in our families, come on, in our workplaces and in our churches, there is unity. And where there is unity, there is power, there is freedom. Everything that the world brings, Jesus brings the opposite. And this armor is centered around him. And as we draw closer to the end of this series, I really want to just encourage you that these messages are not just good messages or something we're trying to impress you with. They are actually tools, tools to fight the schemes of the enemy. If you go all the way back to week one, we spoke about your foundation is your ability to stand on Jesus. That when there is fighting, that when there is attack from the enemy, that you have something to stand on, right? These are tools. And so go back to each message. When you're facing sin or addiction in your life, come on, there is a tool. Jesus' righteousness gives you righteousness, right standing with God. It's a tool. When you're facing anxiety and fear, peace is a tool. We want to we put on the armor of God and stand against what the enemy throws our way. Come on, that's what this series is all about. And so I'm praying that as we draw closer to the end, that you will remember that and that you will apply these things into your life as we move forward because God has a plan for you and no attack of the enemy can destroy his plan for you. And so to set up this message today, I want to just take a slight diversion and I want to talk to you guys about YouTube. <laughs> Of course, something out of the blue, right? Check it out. 
If you are single, you haven't yet figured this out. If you've been dating someone for a long time, then you might have figured some of this out already. But if you are married, you understand this very well, deeply understand this. What you as a guy would like to watch is diametrically opposed to anything your wife wants to watch. And whatever she wants to watch, you do not want to watch. I don't know why it's that way, but it's the reality. And it's the reality in my house. If, uh, if you um, have figured this out, then share your wisdom. But in reality, and the funniest thing about this is all the things that I want to watch, my wife will she'll find it most of the time quite, quite silly. I think I'm quite stupid, but there's, there's I, I don't know, I like watching what I like to watch. And so I'm going to let you in a little bit again on, uh, on, on me as a person and two things that I love to watch that my wife just doesn't understand why I love to watch this nonsense. The first is cow hooves. Yes, you heard me right. Cow hooves. There's this channel on YouTube called Nate the Hoof Guy. And what he does is he works on cows' hooves and takes care of them. And if they're injured, he nurses them back to health. And he films himself doing this. And it's just, it's amazing. I mean, just think about this. Imagine you are a cow. Or just imagine as a, as a human being, you're walking around with a stone in your shoe right? And it's under your foot. And you, you can't, you do not have the ability to take that stone out of your shoe. You just have to walk with it all day, every day, there's a stone in your shoe. Now imagine you weigh like two tons and you're stepping on that stone all day, every day, and you can't take it out. Come on. This is what Nate does, right? He, he goes and he finds the infections and the stones that are caught in the hooves of the cows that's been grown over, and he fixes it, right? And it's amazing. He takes care of the hooves, and he cuts away the things that are wrong, and then he, he puts and bandages it up. It's amazing. And I love watching this, and my wife is always like, why are you watching this nonsense? I don't know. It's somehow cathartic for me. I enjoy it, right? That's the first one. The second one that my wife doesn't get is uh, it's a bit more manly, but this show is called Forged in Fire, right? And it's an awesome show. It's basically blacksmiths and swordsmiths, and it's a competition. They get given challenges, and they must, they must forge swords, special, spectacular things, and then they test them, and they have cut stuff and they see if it cuts all the way through to the bone and all this cool stuff man I, I love this show and then whoever makes the best sword wins basically it's awesome if you haven't watched it you need to watch it right my wife cannot understand why I watch this nonsense and to be honest there's some stuff that she watches that I really just don't understand either but it is what it is you know and uh, that kind of you can see where I'm, I'm going this. We're about to go into our final or, or second to last um, preach, but it's on the final scripture. This is the last scripture that we're going to read. And I'm going to read it to you now, and, and you'll see where we're going with this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, if you have your Bibles, says this. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now check it out. Paul has taken a bit of a, a pivot in the second half of the scriptures we've been reading. The first half, the first three pieces of the armor of God are things we put on, right? We put on the breastplate, the belt, the shoes. But then he pivots to talk about what we take up. We take up the shield. 
And I'm going to focus on the second part of this scripture today. And next week, we're going to finish off with the first part. But today, we're talking about the sword of the Spirit, the double-edged sword of the Spirit. We take that up. And so, as we open up today, we're going to pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that your presence would come and fill this room. Fill us up with your voice. Open our hearts to hear what you have to say today. We give you all the space to move in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so we've got two words we're going to focus on. One thing that we've been doing over the last few weeks is really dig to the original Greek words that Paul used and, uh, and trying to understand them in a deeper way. And this is called the sword of the Spirit. And we're going to open up what we're talking about today with that idea, the sword of the Spirit. What is that word Spirit? If you've been in church a while, you might have heard of this word. The Greek word, or at least the root word for the word Spirit, is the word pneuma, pneuma. We, we see it in the medical field a lot, pneuma, we understand pneuma has to do with your lungs, your breath. What that word really means is breath. It means air, it can be used for the word wind, and when it's describing this idea of the spirit, it's talking about breath. And that's so interesting, air and wind. That's also why in Acts, we find in the upper room, there is a mighty rushing wind of the Holy Spirit, right? It's, there is this, this idea of the tangibleness of, of your breath of the wind, but you can't see it, yet it's tangible. Today, I just want to let everybody know, we're going a little bit deep with this one. And there might be moments in, in this preach today where you are asking a question, where, where is this guy going? It's all good. Just stay with me. I promise you we're getting somewhere practical with this. But we need to go a little bit deep, a little bit philosophical, a little bit theological, just to understand things a little bit. And so when we talk of this word pneuma, there, you can interchange this. This is the sword of the breath. The sword of the breath. That's going to be an important concept for us to remember as we move forward. It's a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's going to be our second word that we're going to just try and understand a bit deeper, is, is word. What is word in Greek? And so I just want to talk a little bit about what the sword would look like. Each week we've been kind of speaking about what it would look like to the people who are hearing this. In Ephesus, they see a Roman soldier, and so they would recognize the different pieces of the armor. And it's intentional. It's on purpose. And so let's talk about the sword that Roman soldiers would use. It's actually called a gladius. Now, a gladius is a derivative of a kind of bronze short sword that the Greeks would make, right? And further on, you get the Romans, and they, they have this evolution or variant of the same sword called a gladius. Now, a gladius is actually a short sword. It was double-edged, which means on both sides of the sword, it has an edge to cut and slice, and uh, it had a short handle with a pummel on the end. And that pummel was big. It was used for protection, right, for deflection, as well as for damage. And the thing about a short sword, it's so interesting that they used a short sword because it's, it's not big. It's, it's not huge that, and scary. It's, it's actually quite short and maneuverable. It was easy in battle to move around and to attack with. And what's interesting about the sword, what makes the sword unique is that it is both an offensive weapon 
and a defensive weapon, right? So it's used for offense, but it's also used for defense. Every other part of the armor of God is basically exclusively defensive. Even the shield, it's too big to maneuver that much so that it becomes an offensive thing. It's got to be defensive and it links with others for defense. But the sword is both offensive and defensive. And when we talk about the word of God, it is both a defense to us, but it is also an offense It goes and it attacks and makes the way for us. And we're going to explore that. And so I want to read another scripture as we start to dig into this idea of the sword of the Spirit. And it being the Word of God. We need to understand the Word of God. And so turn with me to the book of John chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 1 to 5. Then we're going to read verse 14 and then 16 to 17. So here's, we've actually used the scripture already. A couple of weeks ago, we spoke about how Jesus brings grace, right? And grace and truth are found in the person. The personification of grace and truth is Jesus Christ. That comes from this set of scriptures, but I'm going to put it into a deeper context now. And so let's read together. John chapter 1, verse 1. Let's go together. It says, in the beginning was the word. Right? And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Verse 16, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of the grace already given. This is the the one we remember. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. All right, this is a mouthful. What's going on in this scripture? What John is doing, he's opening up his letter, his epistle, his gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He opens it up by clarifying who Jesus is. He calls him the word, the word that was with God and the word that was God. And he says that this word became flesh and dwelt amongst us and brought light to us. This word, this Jesus Christ, who was with God but who is God, he comes with grace and truth. The law came through Moses and that was a former grace, a former glory. But now the fullness of the glory of God is displayed through the word, his son, Jesus Christ, grace and truth. Truth comes through Jesus. And so I want to look at this because now we see a connection point between John and Paul, two different apostles writing about Jesus, the Word of God. And there's two words being used here. In John, 
he uses this word called logos. If you've been in church long enough, you'll know this word and you'll have heard about it before, logos. If you're like me and you like fantasy and stuff, you'll remember this word from the matrix. One of the hovercraft ships is called the logos. It's a very biblical word. And we need to understand what this word means. So when he says this, he says, in the beginning was the logos. Okay, so what does logos mean? It means word. It actually has often been translated as the written word, right? The logos of God, a word that is written. But that is not actually a deep enough thought. The real meaning of the word logos is actually better replaced in English, rather than word, is thought or reason. You can interchange reason and word in this sense, right? Again, just track with me. We're talking a little bit theological, a little bit philosophical today. It's the word reason. It's how you reason. So in the beginning was the reasoning of God, was the word of God. Okay, so the word is actually thought. Thought is a better way of describing the word logos. But check it out. Thoughts, whether it's in any philosophical, academic, or theological um, concept, if it's just a thought, it remains internal. It remains with me. It must be written. It must be put down on paper and then shared with others so that we can then understand those thoughts. That's what logos is. That's why it's described as a written word because it's thought coming out as written word. So if we look at the scripture again, in the beginning was the thoughts of God, the mind of God. Can you just imagine that? In the beginning was the word means the mind of God. It was with him and it was him. And then the thought of God, the reasoning, the order out of chaos, the thought of God became flesh. And that is Jesus Christ, his thoughts towards us. And I have a question for us today. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come? Why did the word become manifest, dwell among us? Why? And not just why, but how? How did he come? Well, Jesus came for us. He came humbly, without a massive showing. If you look throughout other religions and other cultures throughout the years, you'll find that if God ever shows up or a God ever shows up, it's always with a lot of kind of fanfare and there's a big thing about it. If you just think about Thor, for example, if Thor shows up, Thor has lightning and thunder and it's smashing down and smiting people and there's a massive thing about Thor's arrival. And it's the same throughout any culture. But Jesus is different. He doesn't come in a way that shows the whole world that now he has arrived. God is here. Everyone bow and kneel before him. He comes humbly as a baby in a manger without any kind of fanfare about it. He just arrives and then goes about the work. No one even knows about him mostly until he's 30 years old and he starts his ministry. That's so interesting to me. I ask the question, why? Why is Jesus like this? And here's, here's the thought that I have, right? In this world, we are looking towards a God or someone to come and save us, right? And to be powerful and strong and to show up. And those gods are something to be feared. 
But Jesus doesn't want us to fear him. He wants us to know that he is close, someone like us, that we can be like him. We can be in him. We can be friends with him. We can be children of him, children of God. We don't have to, he's not a far away supernatural being to be feared. He is close to us. And this is how he comes. He doesn't want us to be afraid of him. So the logos, the thoughts of to be feared, it's not a God to be feared. It's a God to be drawn close to, to understand. These are the thoughts of God, the logos, the mind of God. It's beautiful. But now we ask the question, what is the word that Paul uses? And it's actually not logos. When we come to Ephesians, he doesn't use the word logos. He uses the word rhema. Rhema. So what does that mean? Rhema actually means to utter, to speak. Now remember, this is the sword of the spirit, the sword of the breath, the, the sword of the air. And rhema means utterance. It means to speak out the word. And when he says this is the word of God, it is the spoken word of God, right? And so we need to connect these things because this is the same person. This is Jesus Christ. When John is talking about the Logos, he's talking about Jesus. And when Paul is talking about the Word of God, he's talking about Jesus. The armor is centered around Jesus. And so we're talking about the same person here. So what does it mean for us? This is what the sword of the Spirit is. This is your offensive weapon. This is your defensive weapon. This is your weapon that you take up. It is the thoughts of God, the mind of God for you in your mouth as you utter and speak out God's thoughts towards you, you use the sword of the Spirit. Come on, this is who God is. This is what he is for us. This is what he does inside of us. This is his word for us. Jesus came not to show off that he was God, he came for you and for me. He came for people. His thought was not to himself. Jesus lays aside his divinity. In fact, in a, in a cosmological concept that we just cannot understand, God lays aside the very thing that makes him God, his divinity, his separateness, his otherworldliness. He sets it aside to become like us, like you and me. Why? So that he could show off that he was God? No, he does it so that he can die for us. His thoughts are towards you and me. And when we speak of the word of God, it is the thought, the mind of God spoken about us. The sword is God's thoughts towards you and me in our mouths. It's the breath of God. It's our breath speaking out his mind. You see, the sword is not really how much scripture you know. And I'm going to say this very carefully because we need to eat the Bible. Come on, we got to be Bible people centered around the Bible, centered around the word. Come on, need more of the Bible in us. We need to spend time in it. We need to get it in our hearts and in our souls. But it's not really about how much you can quote 
of the Bible. It's actually how much you understand of the mind of God. It's knowing what he thinks about you. It's knowing about what Jesus says about you. It's what he speaks over you. And as we absorb that and understand it, it's not just the thoughts and the mind of God, it's reason, it's understanding, it's the understanding of God in our mouths that comes out and becomes the sword. It becomes something we use to defend ourselves against what? Against the attacks of the enemy. This is God's mind for you. We've got to understand it. Let me tell you something. A scripture that you know, one scripture that's in your heart, that God has revealed the meaning to you and who you are in him and how he works, that is more powerful than quoting entire chapters where we have no understanding of what God really means. Come on, let's be Bible people who don't just listen to what someone else has to say, but we dig into the truth of what is really being said. Now we ask God not just to read the Bible, but to understand his thoughts, his mind for us, what he says about you. And there are these attacks coming. And come on, we've got the breastplate of righteousness. Our core and our heart is being protected by the righteousness given to us. It's being held in place by the truth. The truth, which is Jesus gives us righteousness, right? Our core is being protected. Our balance is being held by the gospel of peace. We can stand, we can walk, we can maneuver because of that. And our shield is being picked up. It's there to defend us, to lock with each other. But we now have a sword, a sword that can deflect the things of the enemy. When it comes for the attack, we can deflect. It was used, this gladius wasn't just used to kind of stand out, it was also used to deflect the attacks of the enemy that would come. But we can also attack out, we can take territory, we can speak into our families' lives, we can speak into our businesses, we can speak into our communities, the word of God, the understanding of the mind, the thoughts of God for us, for his people, for this world, the thoughts that he has for your business, the thoughts that he has for your marriage, the thoughts that he has for your children, the thoughts that he has for you and your purpose. We can speak those things out. And as we do that, we're taking ground. We're not just defensively deflecting what the enemy says and how he tries to destroy us, but we are taking ground. Come on, the enemy is trying to get you to believe that you're not good enough for God, that you cannot do it, that you're not good enough in your business, that you're not a good wife, you're not a good husband, you're not a good father or mother. He's trying to tell you you're not a good boss. He's trying to tell you you're not going to make it, that the sickness is going to destroy you, that this financial lack is going to be with you forever. He's trying to declare into your life and get you to believe his word for you. But our sword is God's thoughts. What does God believe about us? What does God say about us? That is our sword. And this is what I want to declare over us today. Come on, this is God's word for us. Jesus declares unmerited favor on your life through his grace. Unmerited favor. Whether you deserve it or not, he wants to give you favor and blessing. That is grace. If the law came through Moses and the law gives you what you deserve, and Jesus came, he brought grace and he took what you deserve so that he can give you unmerited favor. 
this is Jesus' thought for you today. When he looks at your marriage, when he looks at your life, that's the way he thinks about you. He sees you as his son, his daughter. He sees you as his child. And when we can take the logos, the mind, the thoughts of God, and we can declare them ourselves, we become powerful in ourselves as we move forward in his viewpoint and his thoughts towards us. Come, the enemy is telling you one thing, but Jesus is telling you the opposite. Jesus sees you as free. He sees you as an overcomer. He sees you as capable. He sees you as full of life. He sees you as full of purpose. He sees you as his child. And he is ready to give you everything you need to overcome what the enemy throws your way. For some of us, we're dealing with sickness. For some of us, it's financial lack. For some of us, it's toxic relationships. For some of us, it's depression and mental anxiety. In each case, the enemy is telling you one thing. He's firing arrows at you. But the thought and the word of God in your mouth is what's going to deflect that. So my question to you today is, what lie are you believing? Where have you lost hope? Where have you lost vision? Where are you struggling right now to just remain and be who God has called you to be? Today, the sword has come to deflect the word of the enemy and to take ground by the word of God, the sword of your breath. It's got to come out your mouth. And this is not just an affirmation. It's not just me saying good things about myself. These are the thoughts of God towards you. What are they? You are his child. And you have everything you need to overcome in this world because of Jesus, because of his grace, because of his love to you. Come on, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I ask today that you would reveal to us how powerful this sword is. Your thoughts towards us that diametrically oppose the world's thoughts towards us. I pray today for every lie spoken into everyone's life, that you would cut it down in Jesus' name. And that us ourselves, with our words, will speak the life of God into our lives, into who we are that you would help us understand what you think of us and declare that out into our situations. I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.